Hello, Mutiny Radio listener. When it's two o'clock and you hear the trippy music, you know what time it is. It's time to talk about belief and God and stuff on Some Call Me Tim. All right, this is Some Call Me Tim. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I am joined today by Heather Lou Wegler. Hi. Hi, Pam. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for calling in all the way from Oregon. That's right. Beautiful. The the northern hinterlands. Uh, global warming only affects your people positively. I'm convinced. That's so far so good up so here. Far. Uh, so on some call me Tim. Usually people are in the studio, and I have this big picture of Sparkle Jesus. Uh, he's a very white long blonde. He's like, it looks like a surfer Jesus and he's wearing a sparkly robe. And I usually have people look deep into the eyes of Sparkle Jesus. And I say, do you believe in Jesus? Well, I believe that the historical record is pretty solid that Jesus existed as a person. Ah. Um, the evidence of him being the son of God is a little more thin. So no, I guess I don't believe in... Sparkle Jesus. Right. So, but Jesus was a dude. He walked around. He said nice things. He fed people, maybe had some doctory skills or something, but definitely no miracles. Uh, unlikely that he had miracles. Uh, no miracles. Have no. you, have you ever experienced something that you would call a miracle? No, but I wouldn't discount that something beyond scientific understanding could have happened mm. the same way I wouldn't discount that maybe ghosts exist. I don't, I, I don't think that we've concluded as human beings that we can be certain that they don't. And I guess that's where I stand on uh, Jesus too. Very unlikely. There's an outside possibility that he was magic. Ah, N- um, do you believe in magic, or do you think it's just science that we haven't explained yet? I would. I think it's science we haven't explained yet. Gotcha. Do, are you too many incidences of people having similar experiences of what one might call the paranormal? Sure. So I think completely discounted as who woo. But I've seen ghosts. Have you ever seen a ghost? I haven't seen a ghost, but the day that my grandfather died, I was like 12 years old, and that night I had a dream that he came to me, and we were in my grandma's kitchen, and it was like it was real, and then when I woke up, uh, my dad and stepmom informed me that he had passed during the night, Whoa! and I'd never dreamt of him before. He wasn't a big figure in my life, so that's the one thing that's happened to me where I'm like, well, I can't explain that. Right. Wow. I, yeah, I've had I've had experiences with people who have passed coming into like dreamlike states, and um, I'm, but I've actually seen a ghost. Like I've I used to be a stage manager in this uh, theater that used to be a place that where they like uh, what's it called where the dead people are. Um, we, when like you, a, um, you embalm them and then you have like a service or whatever. And it was like a, oh, like a funeral home. It was like a funeral home. Yeah. It was like a mortuary. That's what it was an old mortuary and they turned it into a theater and the green room was supposedly where they embalmed the bodies and they had this stage where they put them and there were all these pews. Anyways, I was stage managing and I was sitting up there and running the, the light cues and 
I was on like a balcony thing and I looked over because there was a little girl sitting on the balcony, like in a very unsafe area, like watching the play. And I was like, I looked over, I was like, you can't sit there. And then I looked back and there was no one there, but there was a little girl there for like, like when you think you see something and then you look back and you didn't see anything. And I was like, I know I saw that. So whether I have an incredibly active imagination, but I'm like, I believe in ghosts. I, I think that ghosts are probably possible. My sister actually recently broke two bones um, falling, and she'd never broken a bone in her life. She's 40 years old, and she asked her hairdresser, she was telling her hairdresser about it, and his girlfriend apparently sees things, oh. and so came to her house and was like, well, you got this entity that's hanging out in your hallway, so where you tripped, you should probably cleanse your house. So she did, and she hasn't broken a bone since. I'm not saying that's conclusive proof, but <laughs> some people seem to have perceptions beyond my own, and I don't want to necessarily discount them just because human understanding hasn't come to the point where we can explain it in a satisfactory manner. Right. So do you believe do you believe in an afterlife? Um, personally, I don't. Uh, I mean, I think that to the extent that we die, maybe there's – we are – energies like our, our brains are essentially just computers and that energy when we die has to go somewhere hmm. so i don't know what that looks like it could be that our energy hangs around as these ghostly entities i don't believe in a heaven or a hell oh, oh. um so why, why? don't believe in an afternut life what why don't you believe what happened that you don't believe in heaven and hell what did you once believe were you like a believer as a child and then you were like this is bullshit or what where did your where... no my experience of, of religion is i've always kind of thought this is bullshit i was raised by people who grew up in different religious faiths from mormonism to judaism who all of whom had rejected organized religion as a proposition um, I just think that religion and the thought of an afterlife that goes with it involves an incredible level of narcissism and arrogance to think that there's some deity or deities out there that give, you know, two craps about what you do as a human. I, wow. I just, that seems so just arrogant to me that you were, that people would believe that or that there's some like heavenly reward if you live a particular way. The reward of of living a particular way and making good moral choices is that you feel good. Right. That's, that's the whole point that you have a happy life. If you make good moral choices, there's not some reward at the end of some game we're playing. Right. The hubris of man to think like we're so special and unique that there's something more after, huh? Um, you don't believe in an, in an, in an afterlife, but you do believe in energy Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe maybe there's an afterlife. I guess I don't know for sure one way or the other, and I certainly don't think its existence, if there is an afterlife, should guide how you conduct yourself on this earth. Well, that, that should be. I'm more of an existentialist in that you have to to start with the proposition of what is your experience, and that is the most important way in which to organize your life. So you're more of you're, you're a philosopher. I think that, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I had a philosophy major in college. So. Wow. Oh, my gosh. What would you do with that? I went to law school. Oh, which is the, hey, that's cool. Perhaps with a misguided choice, but. No, I mean, you got to, I mean, I find law is, is 
it's super cool. I always just am like, I didn't know the law. And then they're like, that's ignorance of the law. If you still break it, it's you still break the law. <laughs> like, dang it. Just because yeah, you don't know the laws. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you have kids or anything? Like, what do you, what makes you, you say you're, you, you, it's okay. To, you want to be a moral person because it makes your life better for those around you. But like, what's the point of being so you don't feel like you need an external morality in order to guide your decisions. There, there no, isn't, it isn't mean, the fear. Have you ever been a shit to somebody else? Have, have you ever treated somebody else badly? Well, I try you know, not to. Yeah. I have. I certainly yeah. have done those things. Things that I would um, consider were not the most moral actions to take. And the consequence of that was to me. It was at a cost to my emotional, mental, and maybe even physical health because they're all connected again, in ways that we don't necessarily understand. Our scientific knowledge is constantly evolving. So I think the reward for making moral choices and conducting yourself in a manner that, you know, say the golden rule, I think, is a good just human proposition outside of religion. The reward for that is that you you feel better. Right. Your life is a better life, not only for the people around you, but your internal experience. What's the worst thing you've ever done to another person? Can you think of it? That's like a weird question to ask. I mean, I, can I, I think I'm going to have to take the fifth amendment. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I have, I've certainly done, I think, I guess I would say now that I'm thinking about it, I am a mom. I have two kids. They're six and eight years old right now. So wow. I have a little bit of parenting experience under my belt and the things I feel worse about the moments that have been my lowest point are when I didn't meet the standard of parenting that I I think children deserve. Wow. So either losing my temper with them, yelling at them. You know, I have used profanities in front of my children. I haven't physically harmed them, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> you never want to shake but a baby, but you can shiver them. No, I got gotcha. you. I mean... You're trying to be a good mom. That's good. I mean, what else is the point of, I guess... Uh, you, you do comedy, though, yeah. I do. Yeah. So that's, do you talk about your kids a lot on stage? I do. I talk about them all the time. Ah, that's um, so funny. Yeah. It's a good release because parenting like life in general is kind of an absurd proposition filled with chaos that basically you can't explain while it's happening. It's just a whirling dervish that you're in the center of. And I think having comedy or being able to tell jokes about them both helps you relate to other people because when they laugh at what you say, you, you realize maybe I'm not quite the monster that I thought I was. <laughs> and it also helps you reframe things in the moment right. to the extent that you can control yourself. If you can look at it from how is this funny versus how is this so enraging that my head is about to explode, you can have a better experience of parenting. Yeah, absolutely. But you, and you're not raising your kids, kids religious in any way. Not really. They are, um, their father is half Jewish. Mm, cool. And so they do have some interaction with Judaism, but it's really more at a cultural level sure. than uh, a religious level. Because I, I have told my kids, they've asked, do you believe in God? And I've explained that I don't really. I mean, maybe there's one out there, but I don't believe that if there is a deity that he or she or it cares at all about what we're up to but there are other reasons to do good things right so you're not you're not putting it above your children's head that like be good or like or 
Santa God isn't going to give you any presents. <laughs> it's, right. um, I always think Well, that, I have used Santa. So oh, Santa's you've used Santa. All right. Presents, All right. I have made them believe in God. Although once the older one has asked, Mom, does Santa, or does Santa really exist? And I, I feel like if they're old enough to ask you, it's because they're old enough to know the truth about it. So sure. That, I, that I Santa lives. As honest as possible. Santa is the Christmas spirit who lives inside all of our hearts. Just like Jesus, right, right. Are they are they real? Um, maybe. Yeah. So your kids are more like Hala and Latkas kind of Jews. They're like, yeah, uh, they're yeah. totally a holiday Jews, which, right? And and only the fun holidays, like there's right. no there's no Yom Kippur up in here. Oh, <laughs> there's no there's no Day of Atonement for all one's sins and the cleansing of 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 all no, of your. I see. I love that part of religion, though. The idea that it says, and it's, it's, you know, there's always sort of a water metaphor in cleansing with the, the, the baptism and with Christianity or with Judaism, with the light, with the Vitzivanu thing and the Baruch Atadonai and the, and the, the Yom Kippur, but that everything can be cleansed every year if you acknowledge what you've done. I, I sort of like that acknowledgement of the fuck ups and then this external deity saying it's all gone like that's a really comforting kind of like it's sort of the best part of religion that that we're that says that we're human and that we make mistakes but that we can be forgiven like I don't know I like that kind of warm fuzzy sort of religious stuff but I guess I I agree it's a nice part of religion but I I don't know that you need an external force to do that for you Ah, so that you should be able to cleanse yourself by admitting you should be one's able to wrongs. Cleanse yourself, and that, a big part of that is when you harm somebody, you should definitely seek forgiveness mm. and offer a meaningful apology, not just "Oh, I'm sorry you feel that way," but right. "I am sorry I did this to you. I am sorry I caused you this particular harm. How can I help fix it?" Huh. And that's a that's a hard thing to say. It's a very like AA step, <laughs> but it's. <laughs> I mean, it's to once, and maybe that's where like just recognizing one's own mistakes is that we don't need that external, like God in the sky to be like, blue, blue, blue. That it's, it's always been so hard for me to think that there's a God that knows everything. Like, I mean, God cares about me or whatever. And then that, but then when all those weird, like, have you ever had a situation of like fate and circumstance happens at once and you're like whoa how did that like whoa or is that all just happenstantial um yeah i don't know i mean that would be again an instance in when i think agnosticism is the answer Mm. i've certainly had coincidences that seem too coincidental to have just no meaning at all but the world works in mysterious ways that we don't understand. Right. And I, I'm not, I'm not willing to call that God. Sure. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, do you believe in aliens? Like you, you said, you don't think there's a God out there, but do you think there's, do you think there's more out there than just us on this planet? I think scientific probability favors. Yes. That ah. There are, there is life outside of earth. There just are too many galaxies, planets, uh, to 
completely discount the possibility that there are other beings. I don't know if they're intelligent beings or if it's just bacteria in some, you know, planetary swamp somewhere. But I think if you're honest about probability, you have to say, yeah, there's probably other life on another planet somewhere. So... Do you do any like weird witchy things like lighting candles or like what kind of did you do you have any rituals that you sort of adhere to in a non-religious sense? I mean, I guess practicing having Christmas would be an example of a, a ritual. But are there any daily rituals you do like meditation or any kind of anything? No, I don't really do any of that. But I do have to confess that when my sister had this whole um demon presence or whatever in her house. I uh, went on Amazon and I bought a house cleansing kit with sage and pink sea salt and abalone and palo santo. And I don't, I, there's something else in there. Amethyst. There you go. A- where you're, abalone shell you directions or how to clean your house. So abalone shell or abalone, like the actual meat. Cause that's delicious. No, the shell. And oh, so you, shell. it's like this whole thing where you light the sage and you, Go around your house and set the intention to clear out the negative energy and invite positive energy in. And then you set the amethyst and the salt and the sage all in this beautiful little abalone shell on a stand. And it's supposed to absorb any negativity in your home. I don't know if that is going to work or even if I have negativity in my home, but I thought, well, it's certainly not going to hurt anything. Right, right, right. Well, it's an intention. I mean, you know, whatever... that's that's a thing about ritual like a lot of it is just intention and us thinking about something specific can bring about that change you know like that whole the secret thing you ever you know believe in that like that that if you that our minds are actually what determine our everything our choices where we go all of it so like the power of the human of the human mind is um I guess, I don't know, pretty crazy. Uh, so yeah. do you, you consider yourself like, you're like, there could be a God, you're kind of agnostic, you're not really into religion. Like what, why be alive? Like what makes you tick? Like obviously you've got your kids. Yeah, well, no one has a choice in it, right? But it, you're here, so you might as well try to have some sort of pleasure in it. And I don't mm. mean that in a hedonistic way. I mean that you know you know what it feels like to live a good life you know when you feel surrounded by love and you're giving love to other people uh creating art making a difference in people's lives all of those things i think are meaningful like my particular law job is i work for the the government regulating charities and their fundraisers and i love having a job that i feel like i have a white hat because i'm protecting donors dollars and making sure that charitable funds are directed to the purposes for which they are intended. And that gives me a lot more satisfaction than my law firm job that I had when I first got out of law school defending asbestos companies. Oh, from wow. <gasps> so, you I defended mean, that's, asbestos that's companies? Talking about. <laughs> but did you, feel, did you feel dirty defending like asbestos companies? Or were you like, well, this is the law and this is what I do and... I mean, I mean, no, both. So I did feel dirty. No, none of the lawyers I was working with, the younger associates, like felt good about it. It's impossible <sighs> to feel good about deposing an 87-year-old man dying of mesothelioma about whether he remembers what brand of brakes he put on his car 50 years ago. Wow. I mean, you just can't feel good about that. Wow. 
So we would tell ourselves things like, this is what the law requires. Everyone's entitled to defense. Our client's product was wrapped in lots and lots of plastic. But at the end of the day, you can't feel good about doing that work. All you're doing is keeping dollars in a company's pocket and keeping them from somebody who probably was injured as a result of the products that they manufactured and making it so his children don't have access to those resources. That's just, I don't know how you feel good about that. Wow. So did you feel like after you left that, that you need, did did you do anything for atonement or were you just like, when you could finally wash your hands of it, you were like, okay, I don't have to do this. Yeah, no, I didn't do anything for atonement, but I do feel like I have an obligation to be honest about what that really was like. Right. So I I guess that's the extent to which I've atoned for it. You can't always take the, the, that, oh, well, every client is entitled to a defense because we all make choices about how we're going to spend our time, and that's one of the choices you're making. Now, in criminal law, I think that's a little bit different because uh, a robust system does depend on every person having a defense lawyer, and we can't have a fair administration of justice without that. And I guess that's true on the civil side to some extent as well, but money has corrupted it. Did you ever do criminal law? Um, I spent a month in a district attorney's office here on on a little, like, training rotation because I worked with the Department of Justice, and I did not enjoy that. It was as a prosecutor. Oh, wow. And and I just, I I didn't like the way police and my fellow prosecutors talked about the cases, the defendants, and the victims. And I understand there's a lot of gallows mentality, and these people are doing an important job in public safety, and they have to deal with a lot of horrible fact patterns, and it's very mentally taxing for them. And so gallows humor is one way to deal with it. Right. But I did not like it at all. Would would you... So you had to... Pro, so you weren't defending people who were guilty. You were assuming everyone was guilty. So you were... Yeah. <laughs> so everyone was... Like, your whole job was, you're guilty... Wow, That's that right. would that would take a super toll on one psyche. So you never had to. I was going to ask if you've ever had the moral dilemma where, excuse me, if you've ever had the moral dilemma where you had to defend someone who you knew you knew was guilty. Um, no, but I did have to prosecute somebody that I thought probably shouldn't have been prosecuted. Someone who was and innocent. I lost. So that oh was, wow! Great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's such a hard thing. Like, if you were prosecuting someone that you thought was innocent, but you still had to continue fighting for their that they're guilty, that's got to be a weird situation to put yourself in. I mean, did you? Because you can't you you can't sabotage yourself because that's against the bar, right? Like you're supposed to right. have you're supposed to have this um, I don't know morality about about what what you what you believe if so if is it illegal if you think someone's guilty and you're trying to defend them you can say you know what i i can't i can't do this right it depends because even if you think your client is guilty at least on the criminal defense side of things you can still help them uh get what what you would think is a just resolution now that's probably why most criminal defense attorneys don't ask their client whether they're guilty or not because they look at their job as, it doesn't really matter if this person is guilty. I am trying to guide them through the system and make sure that they have the most fair outcome that they can. Yeah. And that includes making the prosecutor put on their case beyond a reasonable doubt. 
So it's not just, oh, I want to acquit this person or I think this person should be convicted. Maybe it's, I think this person should be convicted of manslaughter but not murder. Oh, right. Or assault four instead of assault two. So there's a lot of room there on the criminal defense side of things, I think, to persist in defense of somebody who you think may have engaged in criminal conduct. Wow. So um, did have you have you always you, you speak you're very eloquent. Do you have you um, do you enjoy like being Perry Mason like the whole um, standing up and or what's the, how about this is a better question. What's the difference between stand up and being a lawyer? That's a hard question. Well, I think stand up you can be a much more authentic person because you're talking about yourself and your experience of the world and things that may have happened to you. Whereas in a, if you're a lawyer, you have a client whose interests that you're representing and you're yeah. putting forward. I mean, if you're a prosecutor or like me on the civil side uh, working for the government, your client is everybody, the people of the state of Oregon. So you have to look at it as what is in the public policy interest, what is the best outcome for the public. What, so. what, do you, what do you like better, being a lawyer or being a comedian? If you had to choose, which one would you choose? Well, uh, for me right now, at this point in my career, being a comedian is way harder, but I would probably choose it. And that, and because it allows you to have that sort of artistic expression that I have found out I really enjoy, whereas the law is much more um, constrained, a lot less personality when you're doing legal writing versus comedy writing. Right. Uh, So comedy is definitely more fun. I'd much rather give a stand-up set than a closing argument. Right. Yeah, because you actually, that's, there's a lot of, I never think about that. There's a lot of writing in law because you, you actually, do you like, you write it and then you memorize it or do you get to, you just stand up there with your notes and try to sound convincing? Well, there's a lot of different kinds of law jobs and my job right now is mostly what they would call a desk practice, which means it's almost entirely writing and on the phone. And sometimes that writing isn't like something fancy, like a legal brief, it's just a snippy email where why haven't you given me the documents you're supposed to give me so that's just at some point becomes less interesting than uh exploring your experience of the world through comedic writing yeah and i now when i get up in court i i don't prepare or memorize what i'm going to say i usually have like an outline of points i want to make but any lawyer with any amount of experience knows that they need to take the cues from the judge about oh. how much they want you to talk. Huh. Huh. I've, I've, I've never, the only time I've ever been in court is when, um, one time I got a DUI and I, I took the, I pled no contest. That was easy. And, um, I've been called in for jury duty three times and that's it. That's the only time I've ever like, been I guess that's good I don't know no that that is good, that is good. <laughs> don't you don't want you don't want a long criminal rap I don't sheet. want I mean, a lot I don't want good. any I don't want any criminal rap sheet I just don't have any experience really with courtrooms and and I got in, every time I've gone in for jury duty I end up getting in trouble in some way and they, I never get picked <laughs> because they say well, what's your job and I say stand-up comedian and it usually gets a laugh and then I'll like tell some jokes or just you know, be really, really Marxist or something. And they just, they, they get rid of me right away. They just don't even, if you're a lawyer, you can't do jury duty. Can you, is it a conflict of interest? Yeah, I have actually been seated on a jury. I was seated on a grand jury that met every day for a month. Whoa. Uh, in, 
indicting drug crimes while I was at the Department of Justice as a lawyer. Is that not a conflict of interest? They were okay with that. Why would they choose you? Why would they let you be on that jury? I don't know why they chose me, but I will tell you that the prosecutors did not enjoy when I would question them about whether a particular search was legal or not. They they really weren't interested in my input on that. Um, My experience of the grand jury system was essentially that the old trope that they'll indict a ham sandwich is true, (laughs) that the prosecutors are so in control of the process that it doesn't provide very much protection to most defendants. Yeah. Uh, So do do you think the law is fair or do you think it's rigged? No, it is not fair at all. Our, our, our system of law is broken on both the civil and the criminal side, and it's largely dependent on how much money you have and your oh. chances of success or what crimes you'll be indicted for are dependent on how much money you have. And I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that it's incredibly racist. It is unbelievably racist, both because uh, people of color tend to be financially disadvantaged in ways that white folks aren't because of you know, 400 years of slavery and oppression. Sure. Um, But also our criminal justice system starts with the cops. And it's well documented that law enforcement and police forces are breeding grounds for white supremacy. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that every cop is racist or every cop is a white supremacist. Of course, that is not true. However, there is definitely a portion of cops that are. Um, or that have implicit and explicit biases against particular marginalized populations. So, and I mean, I don't think this is groundbreaking information. Anybody who has Google could take a look and, and just at the numbers and just see how rigged it is against people in general, but vulnerable populations in particular. Then, I mean, how does it, is there anything that people who are in the law can do to affect change, to make that different? I mean, is the injustice, I mean, it's called the justice system. So, yes, I mean, there, I mean, there are people thinking outside the box. And, I, and when I say it's broken, I should also say that I'm not saying it's the worst in the world. We have one of the, the better uh, systems for recognizing defendants' rights in, in the entire world. That doesn't mean necessarily it's a good or the best system we could come up with. Um, and there's a prof, or district attorneys, prosecutors are thinking of different ways to address this problem. And I'm going to forget, I think it's Philadelphia, but it might be Pittsburgh, recently elected a district attorney who decided, okay, in all these cases that we prosecute, once we have a conviction, we're going to tell the jury how much it's going to cost the taxpayers to put this defendant in jail for the particular length of time that we're wow. asking for, because jurors should have that information. And so little things like that, I think, can make a big difference. When you look at systemically what is going on, we can find ways that we could make this work better. And there are definitely people much more knowledgeable and smarter than I am figuring out what that looks like. It's just a very slow process, and it's an imperfect process. Yeah. And it starts with everybody acknowledging this system is not working for these particular populations. Right. Because if you're, I mean, if you're wealthy, then it works, and it doesn't matter what color you are. I mean, look at OJ. Right. That's that's definitely true. You can buy your way out of the criminal justice system. Yeah. Here's one example I like to to tell people. I was in a, a business partnership with a relative, and it came to an end. And I audited 
the business records and determined there had been an $8,000 embezzlement. So I I brought this up to her and we talked about it and she admitted that she couldn't account for those funds and I was buying her out of the business. So we just deducted it from the purchase price. Now, but walking to the, uh, the courthouse on Friday's criminal court call and you'll see a sea of non-white people who are there for taking an $8 item from 7-Eleven. And those people are probably going to jail. My relative, not. Nothing's going to happen to her. No one's ever going to know. Right. Except that I just told whoever's listening, but you don't (laughs) or anything like that. So (laughs) that's just one example of if you're rich and you commit the type of crimes rich people commit, you're going to have a much better time of it than if you're poor and you commit the types of crimes people who are poor have the opportunity to commit. Right. Because the system's broken. Are you, um, we were just because we touched on racism, how do you feel about what's happening right now with um, the racist, most recent racist tweets and, and what our uh, POTUS, our president, is doing right now? Do you have any, I, do you have any thoughts on, the, on the, the racism that's there or what's happening with our... Just the morality of our country in general? I'm deeply, deeply disturbed about what's happening in our country in general. And if you look at through history, I have an 85-year-old father-in-law whose parents um, escaped Germany right before Hitler came to power. And so some of his relatives perished in the Holocaust. And he's now looking at this from the perspective of this is just what the same sort of things that were happening in Germany in the 20s. It is really and the fact that some Americans are not bothered by this or cringe and shrug it off. I I don't I don't know how we explain that. Right. Um, And I don't know what's going to happen next. But when you look at like what is are the nine stages of a genocide, we're on step like number six. Wow. (laughs) And we have the leader of our nation. Just blatantly engaging in racist speech without consequence. I mean, the House of Representatives did sanction him, but um, which was unprecedented. I don't think that's happened ever in American history, from what I understand. So at least that happened. But he's going to continue to serve and continue to say these things. Now, it could be that. What do you tell your children? Consequences to him in terms of his immigration policies, because now it does show there is some sort of biased intent there. Right. That's helpful, I guess. Yeah, I have thoughts on this. How do you how do you um, how do you justify this to your kid? What do you say to your kids about uh, everything that's happening? Do you do you not talk about it? Do you try to talk about it? Like, how do you instill in them this sense of right and wrong and morality with this with our country? Well, they're not not particular fans of the president. I will admit that I I drag them around knocking doors to Hillary <laughs> right <laughs> during on. the primary here in Oregon. So. They were quite disappointed when Donald Trump was elected, as as was I. Um, and for the 4th of July, I had this old pinata I used on my 40th birthday, and I'd kept it for several years. And so we it's of Donald Trump, <laughs> and uh, we stuffed it with firecrackers and tried to explode it. That's um, the 4th of July. That's so I great. Don't know, maybe I'm not giving my kids the best the best uh, parenting there but i did talk to them about symbolic speech and the history of protest in america and how in the 1700s not everybody could read so right uh, symbolic speech and the burning of effigies was a really important part of starting the american revolution it's deeply embedded in our our political protest tradition so 
that's at least how I justified um, setting yeah. Donald Trump on fire. <laughs> so awesome. Good job. Um, do, do you, what, I mean, the, what are the legalities with the political, like, can we, how do you feel about impeachment? Is that a good idea? Or like from a legal standpoint, or is that terrible because then we might lose the election in 2020? Well, I think we should impeach because I believe that we will already lose the election in 2020. I know that's bad news that people don't want to hear. And you think he'll be in Michigan are looking great. You you think he'll be elected again? The arguments that that come about how that's not going to happen. But I just am, I'm frankly very concerned because it doesn't seem that our nation has done anything to address what happened with Russia in 2016. We have vulnerable election software. um, And apparently half the country are flaming racists. Right. So I don't I don't have a lot of hope to be honest for 2020 especially when the democrats engage in such eating your own conduct. If we can't get on the same page about the most important thing is defeating Donald Trump and not the argue over these little tiny details of policy then we're going to lose and that right. seems to be the direction we're headed. That's it's very very scary. I mean what what if we are what if we are the Germans? Like not all Germans were Nazis. And I've got to believe that there were some Germans that, you know, had buddies that were Jews and all kinds of stuff. And they woke up one day and they're like, what's happening? I mean, are we on the same, are we on that same path? Are we going to just wake up one day and be like, but we've already seen it. There's babies in cages. There's 16 women have come forward saying that he sexually assaulted them all the way up to rape. And we, he was accused of rape two weeks ago and nothing really happened. No, people were just like, yeah, okay, I guess. That's, I mean, that's part of my concern. And I look at it from my own, my own choices. Like, what am I doing? Mm. And the answer is I'm not doing that much. And I feel pretty solid that this is a horrible thing that's going on. I'm giving money to particular causes like, um, there's a wonderful organization, you've probably heard of it, Races, R-A-I-C-E-S, down in uh, San Antonio that's helping uh, with migrant uh, legal defense. Yeah. But am I chaining myself to the courthouse doors? And I, am I trying to get my friends and neighbors to, you know, have a protest in downtown Portland? Do I even think protests matter? I mean, I, the answer to all that is I'm not doing any of that. Right. I'm not doing any of that. And uh, do protests matter? People that are. Do you, do you think protests matter, or is that it just doesn't matter anymore? It doesn't. I mean, does marching in the streets make a difference? Or, I mean, I'm just. I don't think so. And I think at some point there there maybe is some some critical mass of outrage and we haven't reached it yet. But my concern is if we haven't reached it yet, when are we going to reach it? Exactly. And what does it say about the morality in general of the Americans? If we're letting this, like, do we even have like a national, because remember when Americans used to be like standing for all that's good in the world. We're like World War II was like, we're coming in to save everybody and we're Americans and we're good. And this, yeah. do we even, do we even have a moral leg to stand on anymore? No, I don't think we do. And I don't think we did then actually. Oh. I think what we had was a, a good system of indoctrinating children into a particular set of lies about how America operated. Oh. 
and that maybe as informa the information economy expands, we're no longer able to maintain that sort of indoctrination of lies. And so that's what feels different, that we know more about what has happened. We understand better what our country has engaged in. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't think that there's that we've changed who we are. I think Americans have always been who they are and that we're just it's just becoming more and more clear what that means, what that, that looks like. That we're everybody. complicit. That's the thing right now is that I'm a racist, too, because I'm complicit in the system. Like, I don't want to be racist, but I think that it's so ingrained in who we are that there's just no, there's no way to get out of it. Like, even, I don't know, it seems like a real hot topic that, like, I'm a white person acknowledging my privilege. Like, it's, especially on, on stage, I feel like that's just... But that, I don't know if that's happened before that we're coming out and saying like, I mean, I am like saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm a white lady and I have a crazy amount of privilege that I didn't even know I had access to. And all of a sudden now I'm like, whoa, I have a lot of privilege yeah. and I've just never even, I've been so in the system that I've just never even acknowledged and knew that it was happening. And I don't know. It's hard because I consider myself, I like to consider myself a good person, a moral person. But then I'm like, am I, I'm, I'm complicit in the system. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm not as. I mean, I think that's a good question. Are we all good Germans right now? And if so, what does that mean about our moral choices? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to answer that question. I do want to back up a little bit though and say that uh, I think the term racist is problematic, and this is the reason, because we are all racist, because we're all socialized in the system of racism and, frankly, sexism together. Yeah. And it happens, like, when you're just tiny, tiny, and there's not a lot of ability for a two-, three-, four-year-old to resist those messages. They sure. are down in their deep. And so it's admirable that uh, people like you, and I like to think people like me, although I can certainly do more work around it, too, try to undo that. Sure. And that's an anti-racist choice that we're making. But it's a different meaning when you say you're a racist than Donald Trump's racism. Well, it's and racism and bigotry. A lot. Racism and bigotry are different, right? Like, I think everyone's, everyone's racist. Even if we talk about, you know, Norway versus Sweden versus England, I mean, that's all different, like, races of white people. But we we are all racist because we see we see the different we see where people are from we see races we see culture we see that but then it it's bigotry which is the problem that like what our president's displaying is that yes there are different races but my race is better than your race or you're somehow need to be denigrated because you're from a what his what did he call someone some filthy countries or something um, i think the term was shithole country which by right. the way if, if barack obama or any president had used that term will be a complete outrage so i don't i honestly can't explain what yeah, that why, right now. why i mean that's the thing is he's getting a pass and is it because he's so wealthy is it that is it that our system is so broken that it only it only works if you have money <laughs> But then it doesn't work if you have money either because there's nothing, there's nothing, if he, he I can't believe we, we elected a, a, the, the misogynism is, is just rampant. He used to look, 
in the mouths of the women at the Miss USA contest that he ran and won and would just feel free to make them horses, you know, and look in their mouths and look at their teeth and touch their bodies and stuff. And that was just unbelievable. I right. And he just thought that that was, that's a thing. That's fine. So then it's, it's hard for me to be like, does he consider himself a moral person? Like, and it's hard because like, I like to think that my choices, I'm coming from a, a good place. Like, does he also think that his choices are coming from a good place? And if that's the case, like, it's just so scary because I don't know, like it's the same thing. It's like the abortion. Some people think abortion is evil. I think not having access to abortion is, is evil. So what does the word evil mean? Right. I'm, That's a good question. Because and it's, um, it's because I think well we owe a lot of where we are right now to the Republican Party. However, because I don't know that Donald Trump actually has a moral code, other than is this good for Donald Trump? Hmm. I mean, he's a malignant narcissist, and that seems to be what how he makes all of his choices. The Republican Party had an opportunity to really draw some lines that they just they just aren't drawing they just decided that it's more important to achieve their political objectives than it is to constrain his particular distasteful behavior i i'd like to think that republicans in the senate or the house are just as outraged as i am about the fact that he you know told their colleague to go back to where she came from which happens to be where he came from they're both from queens yeah So right. I, I mean I don't I can't explain what's happening other than than there seems to be some sort of craven cravenness in the Republicans where their public policy goals and those seats on the Supreme Court um, were more important than anything else. Right, I'm so afraid of the Supreme Court right now, um, and it hurts so much that they're actually inside my uterus. I I didn't think there was enough room for them in there, but apparently they're. Apparently there is the, the whole, the whole abortion debate is like, really, I was born in 1974 and thanks mom. You could have not had me, but you chose to appreciate that. And that it's 44, almost 45 years later that we're trying to pull back on the human rights of women to me feels like just amoral like why would we why would we go backward with the way that we think about women and their ability to make choices and and be humans but that's that's still happening and this is crazy the other day it was like this pro-life day or something and they were having it in san francisco and an eight-year-old i'm assuming he was eight an eight-year-old boy handed me a pamphlet with a dead baby on the front in downtown san francisco and I just didn't even know how to react. Like I wanted to tell the parents like bad parenting. Hey, it's a boy. Like how dare a boy tell me what to do with my uterus, right? <laughs> that it's a young boy, but that the parents would be okay. And so when I look at those kinds of choices, I'm like, like, how dare you? I, and yet they think they're doing something good like literally good, like save all the babies, but there's no, I I just, I think it's, I think it's worse to have a baby and be a bad parent and potentially make a bad person than it is to say, I don't have the skills 
ability or money right now to be a parent or for whatever reason. That's the most loving choice. Of course it is. Of course it is, which is why the the whole anti-abortion movement is absurd because unless you are also caring a lot about supporting working parents, having paid parental leave, having assistance for people who need it economically uh, or emotionally, physically, after they give birth, supporting early childhood development through paid preschool programs that everyone has equal access to, making sure all children are fed through school banks and free lunches and not cutting those budgets. You are not pro-life. And so... (laughs) It's absurd to me. It's absurd to me that that position is save all the babies because you don't care about the babies once they're here. Right. And so then what's really about controlling women. That is really what it's about controlling women in their body. But they're doing it under the guise of this, this morality. And that's where I get all tangled up because they think that they're making good moral choices and then I look at their choices and I say, oh, man. So if you but and, and that like, how do we how do we all connect more so that I can like I mean, because I can't you can't explain to a person. It's like the people who support Trump are like, yeah, because don't let people have abortions or they're not like seeing the bigger measure of control and they're seeing it as a moral issue. And how do we make any inroads to change the situation if if you know it's the same thing with the gays are like gays are bad gays are immoral and it's like are you kidding me they're people it is i don't know how do we make the how do we change the general morality of people so that or maybe we shouldn't maybe that's fascism i i don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not so hopeful about changing those their particular moralities, especially when they're based in uh, organized religion, because those are uh, organized religion exists as a system of controlling people's thoughts and beliefs. That's mm-hmm. why it's there. That's why we came up with it as a human race in the first place is to impose some sort of order. So I'm not really hopeful of shaking those people off what they believe. But I do think that we could maybe do a better job of keeping their religious beliefs out of our public policy. Ah. Um, so that's where, for me, what the, what the difference is. I don't really care. If you think abortion is immoral and a bad choice, then don't have one. Right, but don't you don't have get one. to dictate the law for everyone else. Right. It's so scary right now what's happening in so many states, like Alabama. It's, it, and it seems kind of obvious. Like, it's when you keep poor women disenfranchised and make them raise poor disenfranchised people then you create more fodder for the war machine it just sort of seems kind of i don't know yeah like and it's not and for just capitalist production like women's wombs are a center of capitalist production right because without them we don't have workforce and so a lot of that is i think economically motivated as well we are literally the means of production (laughs) <laughs> I don't want I don't want to produce um, did you always want to have kids was that a thing like that you or was it that you got in a relationship or like this is so I just want to procreate with this person or what was your like how did you no, get into motherhood I don't know that I have the best story around that I did not really want to have kids I wasn't really focused on it until I hit my 30s and I guess I'm a typical biological po- uh, clock 
ticking where I was just like, well, what am I missing here? Everyone else seems to be doing it. Let's go. I wouldn't advise making your reproductive choices that way. <laughs> for anyone listening out there, you might uh, wish to have a better idea of really how much food you'll be preparing for other people. That, I hadn't, did not have a grip on that. Is that, is that the toughest part of being a mom is feeding everybody? Well, that's certainly one of the the drudgery of it. I think is not really something you can wrap your head around as a non-parent. It's just the same bullshit over and over again in the uh, where everything feels deeply important because your your biggest job is taking care of this other person, and you have to subvert all of your needs towards towards the end of serving them. And that's wow. just it's not something that I realized. I didn't realize what I was getting into. I don't think any parent does when they first become a, a parent. However, I did have two, so I can't have hated it all that much. Right. What's the What's the best thing about being a mom? Um, I think that you, you do have an unprecedented level of joy. You can experience an unprecedented level of joy that I haven't felt anything like it when you see your child achieved something that they had wanted to achieve and, and had their joy. It is, there is something special that I can't really describe. And that would be the best part of being a mom is seeing, making your kids happy. Wow. Now the downside of that is that if you spend all of your time making your kids happy, you create horrible little spoiled monsters. Oh. So you also you have to balance that pleasure that you get out of their joy with teaching them how to actually be in the world. And that's the hard part. Wow. So do you, you recommend it? Um, <laughs> if I, I recommend that people carefully think about it. Right. So. Yeah. And then, and make, and make the just, I just, my, my ship sailed. I I'm 44 now. It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, and I always like, I, I kind of can't wait to go through menopause. Um, just so I just don't have to deal with this uterus thing anymore. And then, then I thought for a while, like, well, if I don't have kids, am I really, but men never have kids and they seem to live very, very fulfilling lives. So <laughs> like, just cause I have the equipment doesn't mean I needed to, to use it to have a, although I don't know. So how much of your fulfillment would you say you derive from your like children's fulfillment? Is it, well, or you have, but you have things because oh go ahead it probably changes over time they're they're kind of small now so the vast majority of my waking hours are devoted to that enterprise of parenting right um so a large part of of both my pleasure and my pain it is currently because of them as i get older i i expect that will change a little bit uh they will have their own pursuits and they'll be less interested in having me involved in those mm -hmm. rightly so that's how human development works so but right now it's kind of high but as they grow up and disentangle from me it'll i'll probably need to find other ways to find that fulfillment right comedy uh they know how to wipe their butts now though that's so great i mean mostly i would give them an an 90% score on that one. <laughs> I mean, I've actually, I have, I, I nanny quite a bit and I had a buddy who was like eight and she said, nanny Pammy, come wipe my butt. And I was like, all right. I mean, if you feel like you need help, I'm here to help you, but you're eight. <laughs> like it's time. It's time for you to figure it out. Definitely. Well, time. Heather, you're, I, you're so, this was a great, it was great to get to know you. Uh, during some call me Tim and you're, you have a very, it's like you're, 
you're you're justice warrior. <laughs> yeah, we were great morality. all that today. I feel really fulfilled. We talk about a lot of different things. So thank you for that yeah. opportunity to be here, Pam. I really appreciate it. And thanks for putting this show together. I've listened to some episodes before uh, coming and chatting with you, and they're really fun. They're, so, I, thank well, you. Well, everyone has their own, like, individual belief system that makes their life go, and they're all different. Like, and I'm, I'm just, I'm really interested in that, especially when people can have an external sense of morality and they didn't get it from Jesus or religion or anything like that's like, it's like a human thing that we have. It doesn't have to be this like organized religion doesn't make people good or bad or anything. Cause that's like within people anyway. I don't know. I just, I get so angry with all the people getting mad at Muslims and stuff. It's like anyone who believes anything good for them. Like maybe it gives people some peace to, to believe in something external. Uh, I'd it doesn't sure. have to be about judging other people's beliefs. Just really a live and let live philosophy is the way to go, in my opinion. Yeah, live and let live, Heather Wiggler. And uh, when <laughs> what shows? What shows do you have coming up? You have any cool comedy shows coming up? Uh, on August third, I'm performing at Kelly's Olympian at Kelly's five Olympian. p.m. in Drunk Discourse. I'm giving a drunk PowerPoint about why you should never talk to the cops. Wow, that's going to be so fun. Um, I actually get yeah, to be so. in Portland again for the Ha Ha Harvest Festival. I'm going to be up for that, and um, I know they um, use Kelly's Olympian as one of their one of their stages. And I love Portland so much. You guys have the best comedy scene up there. It's like this incredible community, and you have so many great shows, and the audiences are great, and the comedians are hilarious, and there's just so many people doing great stuff up there. And I'm really I'm really jealous, and I can't wait to go back and visit y'all. Well, I can't wait to uh, to have you back. Yay! So we'll look forward to the ha ha. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Heather Wiggler. Have fun on the third of August at Kelly's Olympian. If you guys are up there in Portland, check it out. Drunk discourse, five o'clock. You should tape that. <laughs> I would love to. I think it's going to air on public access. <gasps> <laughs> Even better. Awesome. Well, have an awesome day. Be a great mom. And uh, hey, this has been some call me Tim. All right, take care. All right. That was a lot of fun. Every week is different here on Some Call Me Tim. This was a lot of fun. I'm going to play some probably flat black plastic because it's my favorite. And uh, hey, thanks for listening to Mutiny Radio. <laughs>